Okay, well, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, thank you so much for uh, today, for your mercies on us, for bringing us, everyone that's here already, and just pray for uh, those who might still be on their way that you would grant them safe passage. Uh, and Lord, we just ask that as we, we open your word and study um, and look at who Jesus Christ is, that uh, you help us, Lord, to uh, recognize how great a Savior he is and how wonderful it was that you, from the foundation of the, uh, of the earth and the beginnings, had predestinated a people for yourself and a plan, and that Jesus Christ was the culmination of that plan. And so today we study about who he is, and uh, just ask that you would help us to um, just allow that to seek in, uh, sink in deeply, Lord, into our minds, our hearts, that we would uh, just exhibit that throughout, uh, throughout the week in our life, is that we don't deserve anything, but it's only because of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, Lord, that we can receive the grace that you've given us to believe on him and receive eternal life. And so we just ask for your blessing on our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, Keone, why are we here today? We're here to have assurance of eternal life, to become equipped for ministry, and to know God more deeply. So, uh, we're going to finish up today about the person of Jesus Christ, and then next week, uh, for the following two weeks after that, we will look at the work of Jesus Christ. Um, and then, <clears throat> as we go on, you know, the, the, the thing about fundamentals of faith is that it should help people to, um, to understand their salvation is not, not their own doing, it's not their own works, and so therefore... Um, they can't earn it, they don't deserve it, nor can they lose it. And so a saved person should have a full assurance of that eternal life. And then, and then the other thing is as we continue on and learn is that it makes us equipped for ministry. So almost any ministry you're going to do in the church is going to involve um, teaching or, or working with people and knowing God's word is, is um, paramount for that because it helps us to understand really how we treat other people, all other people, believers especially. And then, of course, uh, knowing God more deeply is today and for the next couple of weeks. Um, so, John 1, 1 through 14. Does anybody have that memorized? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's go for it. We can. We, hey, now listen, if she needs help, give her some help. Go ahead. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh, hang on, um, and, um, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yay. Yay. Nicely done. Nicely done. These are... These are great, great verses, you know. Um, so just a quick recap on that is that where, what, when was, when was this? Where was Jesus in the beginning? Where was he? With God. He with was God. with God. And who was he? With God. He was God, right? And remember your Jehovah's Witness uh, uh, people, when you talk to them, they've changed that to say he was a God, little g, a God. And so if you ever witnessed the Jehovah's Witness, you can always take them back and say, well, you guys used to use the New King James Version, and you accepted that as Scripture. So let's go there and use that, because their New World, what they call New World Scriptures or whatever, they have manipulated 
Okay, so they've changed uh, changed words to suit their own their own man-made beliefs. So very good. Any questions on this verse? Anything about it? We're gonna we're gonna write it down on the back of our quiz today. So if you don't know it, you have an hour. <laughs> okay, so let's look at uh, what we what we've uh, what we covered last week, and uh, we'll get into this. So we saw that Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's that was our verse. We saw that Jesus became flesh. That's the incarnation. So that Jesus is one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. And we saw that Jesus had set aside some of his divine attributes when he became man. Right? Sometimes this is a difficult thing for people to understand, but let's, let's go through this. So, he set aside his glory. Right? And where do we get that? Right there. Uh, Andrea, could you read that for us? John 17, verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So if he's saying that, he says, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before, what does that mean transpired from the time he went from heaven to earth? What happened to the glory? Like he left it with the Father. Right. So he set it aside. He and did, set it aside. Somewhere else too? Yeah, and so he, he in the... Uh, uh, transfiguration, what do we see there? We see that his glory is literally shining out through his body, his flesh, right? So it's, it's hidden. It's hidden. So he set it aside. He doesn't walk around and people, people can't look at him and say, oh, look at the glory of God. They would all die. <laughs> yeah, right? So he looks, he looks like uh, uh, just a man, right? He's a man. That's what he looks like. So he set that aside. And what else did he set aside? His independent authority. Kimberly, could you read that? Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So, who does a bondservant serve? The master, right? And so here we're saying that Jesus, who was previously God, omniscient, omnipotent, he has taken on the form, the morph, he has changed into the likeness of a man, and not only a man, but a bond servant. So therefore, he no longer does the things that a person would want to do. He doesn't, in other words, control his own destiny. He does, as he says, I only do the will of my Father. So he set aside his own independent authority. Uh, he set aside some of his divine attributes. This is a tricky one. Keone, can you read that? Yeah, Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. That's so, very debatable, yeah. Debatable. Okay, yeah. What is the debate on this? Pre-resurrection or post-resurrection? Um, did he only know, did he only, is this verse only true of the Son before the resurrection? But then when he became, but then when he died and rose again, then that knowledge was revealed to him. The father, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the debate, right? Yeah, and then they'll say this, is a lot of the cults will look at this and say, see, Jesus, you know, he's not God because he doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient, right? But what does it say here? Is it he no, doesn't yeah. know, and they'll look at that, and they'll say, well, how, do, if, how is it that he doesn't know? How can he not know if he's God? He just set aside 
to set it aside, right? So what is, a, what is an argument that would go along with it? How about this one? You know, Psalm uh, 103.12 or 112.03? No, it's 103.12. Uh, as far as the east is the west, as far as the east is from the west, I have separated you from your sins. Okay, so that's one thing. God takes our sins away from us. But there's another psalm that says that He has put them into ocean and He will remember them no more. How can an omniscient God then say that I will remember them no more? Well, in the same way, we don't understand. I mean, it's real easy for me to forget something. I mean, ask me what I had for lunch yesterday. I don't know. I can't. You know, it's. But God, who is omniscient, knows everything all the time, everywhere. He can set something aside to no longer remember it. And so when Jesus then became man, there are certain things that he set aside. Now, you can get into this a lot. There's a R.C. Sproul did a great, um, a great discussion on this about Jesus in his deity versus Jesus in his humanity. And it was like his deity did not inform his humanity of what he knew. Now, I, I have a, I have a, I have difficulty with that. So then he would say, post resurrection, he did, he does know when he's coming back. Uh, well, I would, I would assume so now, yeah. right? I mean, we didn't, it's not addressed. It, this is pre, yeah. you know, pre-resurrection. He just says that, you know, the Son of Man does not know. Only God in heaven knows. So now he's in heaven. I'm yeah. sure he knows. <laughs> so. But at this point in time, yeah, he, set it aside. he did. So he's, yeah. he's set some things aside. He didn't know that. Well, the last verse in Revelation says, I, I come quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He knows when he's coming, right? Right? Because he has to know yeah. when is quickly, yeah. shortly, right? Shortly, shortly, yeah. Mm -hmm. A day is like a thousand years. Good, good, good thoughts. Good thoughts. Okay, next, let's see. He, what else did he do? Set aside his riches, right? So for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So he's rich. Who owns everything? He Who created everything? He did. Right. But he also set aside everything, right? I mean, and I think we looked at a, a text... Um, earlier that when he was taken to the temple and a sacrifice was made for him that Mary and Joseph only sacrificed the two turtle doves. And if you go back to Leviticus, there was that reference on sacrifice and it says to sacrifice a lamb, but if they cannot afford a lamb, then they can sacrifice uh, the two turtle doves. And so that's what they did because they couldn't afford a lamb. So he was... Uh, he wasn't born into a rich family, and they certainly didn't have a lot of money hanging around. So, And then what else? He set aside his face-to-face -face relationship, right? When he's on the cross, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? So this is Jesus who, for all eternity, had a perfect relationship with God, always. And then right here, the three hours on the cross, God breaks that relationship off when he turns away because the sins of the world are on Jesus Christ. That's such an interesting moment, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because the Trinity didn't cease, but the Father, like you said last week, couldn't look at sin because he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, but 
somehow the Trinity was not broken. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's not we broken. Can't, we can't fathom the what? fellowship, though, that they always had is like, this is it. You see, Jesus, God's in heaven, always looking down on the Son, always seeing Him. You have the Holy Spirit that's always supporting Him. And then when Jesus is on the cross, the Father does this. I can't look at that. For three hours. Right? Well, it says in Isaiah that it was uh, his desire to crush him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's crazy. It, yeah, it pleases to crush him, right? Yeah. So he crushed his own son on our behalf, right? So, um, so anyway, but so here Jesus goes all the way to this point and and his relationship is broken with the Father for the three hours that he's on the cross. And uh, so in, in a... Uh, uh, another context when it says that um, Ephesians uh, 5.25 Husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. When it says gave himself for her what comes to your mind? He died, for he died right? That's what we say. He died on the cross. What did he have to do in order to die on the cross? All the things we're talking about. He had to leave heaven. He had to uh, give up some of his omniscience. He ended up right here giving up that face-to-face relationship that he had with his father all the time. I mean, we don't, we say, oh, he died on the cross. What did he have to do to that? He had to become a man in order to die on the cross. Comprehend it all from beginning to end. He's with the father for eternity. And then he steps into this world. So he's given up heaven and he's come here. He's a man he lives as a man and goes through all the pain and suffering and everything else that we go through in this fallen world. And then he goes to the cross and he dies, something that God has never, never, ever done before. But as a man, he dies. And during that time, he takes all the sin of the world and he breaks fellowship with the Father. That's what it means when it says, and he gave himself for us. And so much you love and so it's, it's more, just don't just think about, oh, and he gave himself for us. He died on the cross. What did he have to do to get there? It's a whole lot more than we ever think about, I think. So. Anyway, okay, whoops, sorry. All right, then, moving on. We covered, uh, we covered some of the titles of Jesus last week, right? Matthew. Um, right there, Jim, could you read that? <clears throat> yeah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Yeah, isn't that a little presumptuous to name your child Emmanuel? <laughs> God with us, but I mean, it fits with Jesus Christ. He is called God with us, right? And then uh, let's see in um, Philippians that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By the way, is this taking place right now? Has this happened? I don't think so. No? Not every knee is bowing to him on earth right now. now. There will be a time, though, that at the name of him, every person, above, below, on, will bow and, and confess him as Lord. So some will do it. Because they love him, yeah, yeah. and some are going to be forced. Right? Yeah, so. so Jesus, by the way, it means sovereign. That's that's his name, sovereign. And then uh, 
in, in uh, John 8.58, which we're going to cover a little bit later. It's, uh, he says, I am. And then the statements in the Bible for deity. For uh, Colossians 2.8, right? For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Right? All the fullness is in him bodily. So he is literally God incarnate is what that's saying. And in Hebrews, right, he's the express image of the Father, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is Jesus now? He's sitting at the right hand of God. Right hand of God in heaven, right? Remember in, in uh, um, Acts, right, when they're stoning, uh, stoning Stephen, what did Stephen say? He said, look, I yeah. see Jesus standing yeah, at the right hand of God, mm-hmm. right? So Jesus happened. stood up yeah. and looked at him. And he said, come up here. Well done. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. He got Jesus off his seat. That's, yeah. that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, uh, our, our memory verse is that uh, Jesus Christ, the word, meaning the word is God. And then Titus. Okay, so this is a great one here. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So interesting, in the Greek, when you have these two, like two words strung together with an and in between, it's it's the same description, or it's a description of the same thing. So it's in fact, so he is God and Savior, not separated. Like, And I think even in the... Um, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, they, have, they may have twisted that one as well. But it's, it's a specific here. Paul is calling him God and Savior. You know, it's separate. Oh, it's God. We're saying, oh, our great God and our great Savior. No, they're combined God and Savior. So the title. Okay. And how about this one? Sheila, can you read that one? So, and we're gonna we're gonna use this in a in a uh, evangelistic description in a minute. But yeah. So, and what happened right after that? Did Jesus rebuke him? Did Jesus no? He said, "What did he say to him?" He said, "But because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed." So, yeah. All right. So. Uh, Paul equates Jesus to God, right? So, uh, Michael, could you read those two, please? Romans ten thirteen: For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel two thirty two: And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. There will be those who escape, as the Lord said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So, in Joel 2.32, anybody know uh, when it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, what's the title? Yeah, so that is the title uh, for Yahweh, Yahweh being God. And if you have a legacy, the Legacy Standard Bible, which is a latest translation that's come out, 
they have everywhere that the word Lord was used, they've changed it into Yahweh because that's God's name. That's, so. so then um, in this instance, though, Paul is applying the name Yahweh to Jesus Christ. And then he's done that again um, in a uh, couple other verses here. You can look these up. 1 Corinthians 131, Jeremiah 9.24. 9, those are the parallel passages that he's using and quoting from. And then uh, I, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 and Isaiah 40.13. And then 1 Corinthians 10.26, Psalm 24.1 and 2. And, and Corinthians, uh, second, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10.17 and Jeremiah 9.24 again. So this is Paul, though, who is quoting from the Old Testament and applying the terms of Yahweh to Jesus Christ. Interesting though, right? Paul, I mean, Paul was, as he describes himself, a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? So Paul knew all these Old Testament texts, right? But yet he was blinded to the reality of who the Christ to come is. And then Jesus came and he did not recognize it, just like, you know, a lot of the other Jewish scholars, right? Because why? Because they were blinded to it. Yeah, right. I hate it. Right? I mean, yeah. why is it that some people that you share the gospel with don't respond? Their eyes are darkened and blinded by sin. It's the same reason. Is because God is the one who opens the eyes, right? Through the Holy Spirit in in Titus, you know, Titus three uh, three five, where it says that. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to who your mercy you save us by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so it's it's not a person or a, a responsibility of the person to hear and to understand and then believe. It's to hear, hear God's word. That's the first part. They hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit then uses that gospel and converts the heart. And then it and converts the heart unto belief. So, uh, but here, it's uh, Jesus Christ being called Yahweh. And how about this one? Um, Keone, read that for us. Yeah, John 10, 31 through 33. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Yeah, so what's the penalty for blasphemy? Death. Death, stoning, right? And so that's immediately what they did, right? They knew perfectly well that Jesus was calling himself God. And so they picked up the stones, enraged as they always get, and said, we're going to stone you. Right? Short tempers. Angry. Okay, so... Witnessing to someone who denies the deity of Christ. Okay, so who denies the deity of Christ? You have Jehovah's Witnesses. Mormons. Uh, you have Mormons. Lots of other cults. That's usually the number one thing about cults is they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. So Muslims. Uh, Muslims will as well, yeah. So then, in Matthew 4, 8 through 10, you guys know this verse. Again, the devil took him up 
to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, Jesus' words, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, on to the next verse. Revelation 22, 8 and 9. So this is John. Right? John's being given the revelation from Jesus. And so he's writing about, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Angels have a full understanding of who, who they should be worshiping, right? And so when John falls down to worship at the angel's feet, he tells them, get up. I'm not, I'm, you don't worship me, you worship God. Okay, let's go to this verse, um, John 20, 28. And, and what you do is you can say, Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. And when you're talking to the JWs, and you're having them read it and say, and you just say to them, and the next verse is, Jesus says, see that you do not do that, for I'm your fellow servant. Worship God, right? No. That's not what comes next. What comes next is, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. So then, are we saying that Jesus was a blasphemer because he accepted worship? Or is he God? truth is he's God right and this is a they they will have nothing they can't they can't you know they can't get out of that box so you either pointed to them so either God Jesus is a blasphemer and a liar because he worshiped he accepted worship from Thomas when he fully knew that Thomas would call him God or he was God and he accepted worship right yeah uh, but what they say is um, they say this is an exclamation Right here. Like, like people say, OMG, nowadays, right? That was an exclamation. It wasn't really, he wasn't really calling guys like, oh, wow, look at that. You know, <laughs> so. Uh, but clearly that's not the point here. So. All right. Oops. It's not the end. <laughs> not the end, sorry. Okay, so then. And then, remember, we covered this last week. C.S. Lewis said, this is a great, this is just a great quote. If you remember parts of this, you can always use this in, in witnessing to people, right? Because he says, here, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things that people often say about him. Uh, I'm ready to accept that Jesus is as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Uh, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So people say that all the time about Jesus, though, right? Oh, he's just really a great teacher. And then, 
Just ask him, would a great teacher call himself God if he was not God? And if he said he's a great teacher, a great moral teacher, and he's not God, what would that make him? Pretty big liar, huh? Yeah. Right? So you, you can't have it both ways. So, all right. So that was just a review. So today we're going to cover the Christ who is Savior, the King who comes to rule, and its application. I think we're doing good. And then we'll do a quiz. All right. So, question. What is a Savior? What's a Savior? Michael. What is a Savior? It's not a trick question. <laughs> yeah, it's somebody who saves, who who protects you from harm and, and you know, uh, keeps you from, from fire, right, or whatever, keeps you out of danger. That's a savior, right? And so let's look at what Isaiah says. Um, Mike, read that for us. Isaiah 19, 20, and he will stand on the Savior and they can't and he will deliver deliver them. Oh, so okay. So the Savior will deliver. Right? So the Savior delivers. That's what this verse is telling us. Okay? He will deliver them. God will send a Savior and the Savior is going to deliver them, the people, right? Alright, let's go back, sorry. Yeah, and then Isaiah uh, 49.26 And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and Redeemer. Right? So, here in Isaiah, it is God saying He is Savior and Redeemer. So what does that mean to redeem something? Anybody ever... To buy back. Go, yeah, to go to a pawn shop, right? You have... Uh, you, 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 you take something of value to a pawn shop and they give you, you know, 10% on whatever it is and then they give you the little claim ticket that you can, you can bring back. You can bring back that ticket to redeem what you've deposited there. And so, yeah, that's what it does. It really, a redeemer buys back, right? And so, and why did we need to be bought back? We were slaves to sin and we were sold. Slaves to sin, by definition, a slave is not free, yeah. right? And so how did people get out of slavery? They get bought. They could be bought from one slave to another, or they would have to pay off a master their, their value, to buy their own freedom, so to speak. And so um, that's why we needed to be purchased because we're slaves to sin. And what was the price? The infinite blood. The blood of Christ, right? That was the price. The blood, of, the blood of Christ, yeah. And what was the last thing that Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. Yeah, the word tetelestai, right? It is finished. Translated most of the time, it's as it is finished, but it can also be translated as paid in full. Mm. Like when you pay off your... Last payment on your house mortgage. Woo! Stamp paid in full. Right? To tell us. You could tell the bank, just put on there to tell us die. Yeah, yeah. Paid in full. Right. So then the debt, the debt has been paid in full. Oops. Hit the wrong button. Okay, so why do we need a savior? Romans 3.23, because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And how many sins? Does it take to send you to hell? One. One, right? For the wages of sin is death. And by the way, what are wages? Wages are what you Earnings. earn, right? You go to work and you get paid wages. Yeah, so what we've earned, our wages, then is death. And so that's why we need a Savior. 
right? And because if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, if we're not saved, going to heaven, then where are we going? Lake of fire. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and the worm never dies. And the outer darkness. So, Okay, Christ the Savior. So, um, Sheila, can you read that one for us? Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, when you look at that, what is that? When we refer typically to the city of David, capital C, city of David, what is that referring to? What is Jerusalem called? The city of David, right? Because he, he established it there. And so, um, but here we talk about the small C, city of David. And so that, that's an indicator of the city of David is where he was born. Right? And where was he born? Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, right? Yeah. Um, and what is amazing is that, so uh, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which is a suburb you know, of Jerusalem. It's, it's like, uh, you know, you got Knoxville, and then you've got where the new Bible uh, Hope Church is going is in Fountain City. I always thought, whoa, Fountain City, that's a different city. No, it's just, it's, it's a suburb of Knoxville. It's just a postal, um, uh, what would you call it, a postal city, right? It's got a separate zip code and a separate name, but it's still Knoxville. Same as, same as Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just a few miles, or, or not, not, a, not a few miles, not that far, outside of Jerusalem. So it's like just a suburb of Jerusalem. What was that zip code? Yeah, <laughs> back then. Zero, I don't know, that's good. Um, and then just a, a side note here is that um, the lambs that were used for the annual Passover sacrifice were born in Bethlehem. That's where they raised him. It's amazing how God works out all the details, right? Consistent with his sovereign plan. All right, so then. Um, yeah, Kathy, can you read that for us? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Okay, and so who said this? John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist, and he says, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, he is already pointing to the fact that Jesus is going to go to the cross, right? That was his title, the lamb of God. And so uh, John already knows that. And so here we go. What is the difference between admitting that Jesus is the Savior and going beyond that and claiming that Jesus is your Savior? personal. Because if you're saved, he is your savior. It's a personal thing. He's not just, the, he's the savior of those guys over there, but not, not me. Right? No. When you, when you go from he is the savior to he is my savior, you make it more personal. I mean, he could be your savior too, but he's mine. Right? So, yeah. And there are verses that talk about he's the savior of the world, but there are certain verses like this specific. Right. Yeah. So, John 3.16 is a... Yeah. A general statement, right, of being the savior of the world. 
but he is specifically for people who believe. Who do you believe on? Yeah. Well, you believe Jesus Christ. You believe who he is, right? And, and we'll get to another verse about that, but all who call, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, mm -hmm. right? So you call on him. He is the one. There is no other to call upon. So then based on those verses, uh, what does it mean to use the title Savior when talking about Jesus? Well, how about this? Um, in Matthew 11, 3 and 4, John the Baptist's two disciples asked Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And then Jesus answered and said, Go to them, or go tell John the things which you have heard and, and seen, the blind see and the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So then, yeah, he's confirming. There is no other. I am the Savior, right? Because the point blank they're asking, are you the one or should we look for another? He gave him the answer. He is the one. Um, and then in Acts 20, uh, 2, 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Romans, uh, Romans 10, 9, 10, right? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him to the dead, you shall be saved. Right? And then uh, 1 John 4, 14, the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Plenty of verses that refer to Jesus as the one and only Savior. So. All right, so did Christ have to be God to meet the requirements of the sacrifice? How do you explain that to somebody? Why did Jesus have to die? He had to be sinless. Had to be sinless. For, it to, for everything to work, so. Right? Because if he had a sin, who would he be dying for? Exactly. His own sin, right? When Hebrews talks about without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Okay, so, and that comes from Leviticus, right? Yeah. The back to, so then, God has predetermined that there had to be shedding of blood, and typically during the Passover, which was when uh, the lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the families, what was the requirement of that Passover lamb to be? Could it be like a lame, crippled, what? Perfect and spotless, right? Perfect and spotless lamb had to be sacrificed because that was how God had set up the sacrificial system so that the families every year would recognize that their sins had to be placed on that lamb and that lamb then had to be sacrificed. So it's pointing to the final sacrifice, who is Jesus, the Lamb of God. So his, secondly, is that his sacrifice had to be of infinite value. That's who this is. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but of those of the whole world. So when we talk about what is that word propitiation, that's a big word, what does that mean? Okay, it, it, it's atonement, but it's more than a little more than that. It's um, it's satisfying. It's a satisfaction of God's wrath. So that propitiation is appeasing God's wrath. So that that's the atonement. Yeah, it is um, atoning for sins, but really it's appeasing God's wrath. That's what propitiation really means. I have a question. Yes. About sacrifice. Um, Cain and Abel both uh, gave their offerings for the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, I can't quote any of the Bible verses in the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, sometimes they do use fruit and vegetables uh, um, as 
of sacrifice, not necessarily for sins, but for, you know, uh, maybe the savory uh, scent or something like that, correct? Am I right about that? Uh, well, you, they do have, uh, they have a grain offering, grain, right? Yeah. And they'll have a, uh, what else, Jim? They have right. a, a drink offering, okay? So there's several uh, offerings that take place, right? But those offerings are pointing to a different thing. The sacrifice that uh, um, Abel did, which was to sacrifice his animals, was a sacrifice that apparently had been um, required of God. Otherwise, how would he know to sacrifice the animals? And then uh, Cain, who was a farmer, he just sacrificed some produce. Right. right. And so, oh, well, because, and, and so, drill a little deeper into it. What was the difference between what Cain's doing and what Abel's doing? Abel is doing what God prescribed. What is Cain doing? Not what he prescribed. Cain's doing what he wants to do. Cain is the beginning of false religion. Oh, okay. This is his own religion. He is going to decide how to appease a God of his own making. Right? He says, oh, God will take my sacrifice. So I'm giving him the vegetables. And so God accepted uh, the sacrifice of Abel, but he didn't accept the Sacrifice of Cain. What did he tell them? If you do what is right, you know, pleasing. But if you don't do, sin is crushing your door's desires for you. You must rule over it. And he, he did. He, he did. He did it. Right. He did it over God. Right. I mean, God, why, you know, why is your countenance down? Yeah. It, you know, if you do, do what's right, right, yeah. It'll go well with you. It'll go well with you, right? Yeah. It, big, you do what's right. So is that a, that's kind of a, a if then statement. Yeah. If you do what's right, then it will go well with you. So the implication is he didn't do what was right. No, he didn't do what was right. Yeah. So uh, just. He didn't I'll repent. Stop. God gave him opportunity. No, it's I good. I have such a curious mind. No, it's good so, questions. Yeah. So if Cain would have turned around right there mm -hmm. and bought or whatever a lamb from his brother and sacrificed it then. Would have been good, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would he have done? So think about what he. What would that would have required for him to do? He would have had to have recognized that what he did was sinful, and he would have to have repented, and he would have to have done what God prescribed. Is that not the process for everyone? Recognize your sin, repent of it, obey God. That, I mean, this is from the beginning. Humility. Yeah, and so, but Cain, he didn't. Right? I had um, kids that said, well, he just didn't know. But he knew. He knew. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, and how do we know he knew? Because he got mad. <laughs> <laughs> Abel knew. No, yeah, how do, we know he, how do we know he knew? Well, because who were his parents? <laughs> Adam and Eve, right? And what happened to Adam and Eve? God... Who, 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 who did the first sacrifice of animals? God. God did, right? Because he sacrificed animals and made skins, clothes out of skins for Adam and Eve to cover them. right? And so that was the first sacrifice. And apparently they knew what was required of them because Abel was actually sacrificing the animals. If Abel didn't know what he's doing and he just sacrificed animals, what would he be doing? Well, he'd be creating his own sacrificial system. 
No, he's doing what God had done initially. So, of course, he knew. Otherwise, why would why would Cain sacrifice vegetables? Boy, well, oh, what are you doing over there? Oh, he's sacrificing. Maybe I better sacrifice something too. Is that what we're saying here? Is he saw his brother and kind of felt pressured into making a sacrifice? And I think they both knew. I mean, it's not explicitly mentioned in there, but later in is it in Peter? Peter mentions this that uh, that Abel did what was right, but Cain did not. Yeah. So how did how did Peter know this to write that? How do we know? How did Peter know to write that? Spirit. Okay, so think about this for a minute. Who are the apostles with for three years? Jesus Christ, right? And so what is Jesus Christ doing for the three years he's with them? He's discipling them. He's going over all of the Old Testament. He is giving them a PhD in Old Testament theology. right? And then he says to them, I will send you a helper, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I ever told you. So that what they write down, they were told, they were taught. Right? And so they remember it because the Holy Spirit brings it to their remembrance. And that's how Peter knew about Cain and Abel. And so to say that they didn't know what they should have done, I think that would not be an accurate statement. But it doesn't say exactly the sacrifice was the problem. It was his heart. That his was heart. The problem. Yeah. But, then, but think about that. It reflects the obedience. How, <laughs> how do we know his heart? How can you say his heart's not right if he didn't know what to do was wrong? Say, let me, let me, can I make that? Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. How did, how did we know his heart's not right if he didn't know the difference between the right and wrong sacrifice? Well, he knew. I'm, yeah, just, he knew. I'm just not sure that it was the actual um, sacrifice, what the, the product that he brought was yeah. the issue. The issue was in his heart. And you look at like, um, like Ananias and Spira, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the fact that they gave half or a portion. Right. It was the fact that they lied about it. They lied about it. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the thing. It was the heart. The heart issue. Yeah. 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 So, uh, with but with him, then you would say if it was a heart issue, then he's trusting in his own his own self, his own heart. So, but why? How could he be? How could that be wrong? If there was a right way, see, he can't be wrong if he didn't know a right. Yeah, the text isn't 100% clear of like... Not clear on that. Yeah. But nonetheless... I require a, a meat sacrifice. It's not that clear, but it's implied due to God performed the first animal sacrifice. Uh, Abel did what was right. He sacrificed an animal. Cain didn't, and it wasn't acceptable. And God said, if you do what is right, then you'll be accepted. You still didn't do what is right. You murdered your brother. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he's... Said that, right? Yeah. Well, what did it say in the Psalms about the sacrifice? You know, the better sacrifice. Oh, Thanksgiving. Contrite heart. Contrite heart, right? That's the sacrifice. Right. And what what is? Oh, that's a good point. And what does it say? What is? What does it say? Is that God says that He does not desire sacrifice, but obedience. Obedience. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. But what do people do? What do people do all over the world? They make up their own sacrifices for God, right? Because they've invented God in their own image. They don't believe the God who has revealed himself to them. They create their own God. And so then they create their own sacrifices. And that's how you get 
the, the, the Canaanites, the, all the areas that Israel went in and conquered. And people, so here's another thing, people will look at that and say, God is mean because he told them, the Israelites, to go in and to just destroy everybody in their men, women, and children. And animals. And animals, everything, right? Don't take anything. And they'll like, that's terrible. You know, God, he just killed them all. Why, why? Because that society had become so wicked and they had carried out their own sacrifices. They invented their own gods. They were worshiping their own gods. They were sacrificing to their own gods. And that's the first commandment they violated, right? Love the Lord your God. And so God says to wipe them out. So that's what happened. Yeah. Okay, why did Jesus have to die then? Well, because sins requires a sacrifice. And this is the, the reference to Leviticus, right? When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering and bring it uh, before the tent of meeting. And so uh, when was the first uh, sacrifice? Was in Genesis 3.21, right? When God, God uh, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. Okay, then Jesus died. He had to be sacrificed and then he had to be resurrected. Why? Why did he? Because if the dead are not rise, then not even Christ is rise. Because otherwise we'd still all be dead, right? Because that's the punishment. And so to break the punishment is that no more death, is that we have eternal life. And so that's why Jesus had to rise from the dead, because if he hasn't raised, then, then we're still condemned to die and rot away. Right? For since by one man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Notice the word, in Christ. Only those in Christ will be made alive. And then uh, we covered this already, Hebrews, but, um, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on side. So this is in reference to Jesus is the king who will come to rule. Right? What's his title in, in uh, Revelation? There's a lot of titles. A lot of titles in there, but he is the king of kings and lord of lords, right? Yeah. And how will he return? With a sword in his mouth. Yeah, read that for us, Keone. Oh, yeah. Revelation 19, 11 through 13. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called. The Word of God is another reference to John 1.1, 1, 1. 1, right? John 1.1. 1, 1 okay. So uh, so he's going to come back. And is, are there animals in heaven? Yeah. Well, we know there's a horse, right? <laughs> I don't know about others, but we know there's a horse. Uh, animals with the face of a lion and wings and right? all kinds of crazy creatures. Yeah. And then he'll come. The armies which are in heaven clothed with, with uh, fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So is that the same, when, when, when he just read the, the, the verse before this, mm -hmm. 
No, no, the, the name that's written, I think, on the thigh oh, that only yeah. he himself knows, and then and then they tell us what it says. Uh, it's a different different name. So the King of Kings and Lord of okay. Lords is a title, right? And, but he's got a name written on his thigh. A separate name. Only name. Yeah. Okay. We don't know what it is. And uh, we're but, given a name, too, that no one knows. Revelation 2 or 3 says that. We'll all have our names. Yeah, a different name. And then here, of course, it's referencing this. The Word of God is also his name. I mean, you can go through lots of names for Jesus. The bread of life, yeah, yeah, yeah. the word of God, the door, you know, all, you just, there's lots and lots of them. But in that one, it's, uh, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Do you think he's coming on a literal horse? Good well, that's what the Bible just said. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I mean. Uh, because he also said the same way, go as the same way I return, he didn't go on a horse, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's different. So the, the, there's a return when he comes to call up his people. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a return when he comes. Oh, I comes see what you're saying. To yeah, Armageddon, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I don't know. Literal horse. I mean, it's a horse. Is it? Is it? Doesn't it have a fleshly body, or spiritual, or you know, a body for it's a day? That's a good question. That'd be really it says cool horses, stuff, though. wouldn't it? <laughs> But I still don't think your horse is yours. So in light of who Christ is, he's God, he's Savior, he's King and Ruler, how can you best prepare for his second coming? Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So then, um, this is our call to righteousness, to be sanctified, Right? To follow Christ, to repent when we sin, to confess our sins, and so that when he comes, he doesn't find us engaged in sinful behavior. Right? So, and how can he be found in peace? What does it, it say in Romans about justified peace? By faith, therefore we have peace. We have peace with God. We're justified by faith, right? In Romans, I mean, in uh, in uh, Philippians four six through through nine, right? Is if you're anxious, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and let the peace, peace of God guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So that's how we can remain in peace: is that we are fellowshipping with God, we're in prayer, we're trusting His promises, we're believing. Believing his word. So then, uh, be found without spot or blameless. And what can you do this week? Knowing who he is? Well, continue to worship daily. I wonder why that's not there. There it is. Um, I'll read this one. So then I looked and I heard, this is Revelation 5, 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands and thousands. How many is that? Oh, that's a lot. Mark, <laughs> we just put it in to say, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. 
this is the scene in heaven that we all want to see, right? <laughs> Time comes. Okay, so then, um, how should we live in light of the truths that we've learned about Jesus Christ? To everyone, he will be the Lord Jesus Christ, right? To everyone, right? Because every knee will bow. So they will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. But only to those who believe in him will he be the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? He'll be everybody's Lord, but he's only going to be Savior for those who believe. 